How's everybody? <clears throat> Doing pretty good. I'm a happy pappy. <clears throat> I don't know if I turned this thing on or not. I did. I'm going to have to get me a light up here where I can get past my belly a little better. You know, uh, all of us, boy, we would love to see our friends and family, especially, uh, obey the gospel and become Christians. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> during my lifetime, I've seen a great change take place. When uh, when I was younger, uh, I, we baptized a lot of people. I can't remember how many. Uh, you know, not big amounts, but, you know, Pretty regular, we had people becoming uh, members of the church uh, throughout the year. <clears throat> and uh, today, it it's, doesn't happen very often. And I know for, for you and, well, for me too, uh, it's our goal, our desire to help people see the light and uh, get into the way that the Lord has provided us unto eternal life. But it's, uh, it's, it's much harder today, at least the way I see it, much harder today to convince people that it's a wise decision uh, to become a Christian. And uh, I wonder about it quite a bit because I'm in the saving business and that thought crosses my mind all the time. And I suppose it does you also. So that's what I'd like to talk about this morning for a few moments. Uh, why is it people refuse to come to Jesus? Why is that the case? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, our Lord, speaking to uh, the Jews in Jerusalem, uh, just, well, what was this, two days before uh, the Passover, and then on the following morning he would be crucified. And he said, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Now, he's not talking about just during the time of his ministry, his time uh, on earth in a body. He's speaking about throughout the ages, since the inception of Israel, back around 1490, 1500 B.C., uh, Time and time again, our Lord, working with Israel in the wilderness, uh, attempted to convince them that the way of salvation was the preferred way, that eternal life was something that could be attained, and they should strive to attain it. Time after time after time through those years, Jesus was trying to bring the Jewish people, the Israelite people, actually, uh, unto God. And uh, for the most part, he was unsuccessful. I know that they were born into the covenant, but, you know, we all know that faith was not very prevalent in Israel uh, back during that time frame. And so now he's just a couple of days before death, and he's saying so many times, so many times, I wanted to bring you unto me where I could protect you and save you from what comes after this life is over. And then he, 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 he concluded by saying, 
but you, you would not. You were not willing. You were not willing to come to eternal life. Have you ever wondered why it is that people are not willing to embrace eternal life? I realized before I became a Christian, I realized that I was a sinner and because of my sins, I was alienated from God. God is an eternal being that offered immortal life unto mankind through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that for sinners, which we all were, the only way to, to live forever in peace, harmony, and tranquility was to, is to walk with the Lord. And so I, I became Christian. And I suspect most all of us did the same or something like it. But there's others most, but they're not, they're not willing. They're not willing to do that. Why, why is that? Jesus had an encounter with an infirm man. He, he, he had been lame for 38 years. And he was, he was uh, laying by a pool on his pallet. And he would ask alms, people that walked by, or sometimes maybe help to get into uh, water before it moved, believing that miraculously they would be healed. But uh, he was a man that everybody was familiar with because every day he was back in the same place begging for alms, money, uh, hoping for some way to have a, a, enough to live on. And they passed by day after day after day after day. And one day Jesus encountered this man and after some discussion, the Lord told him to, to stand up. Take up your bed and walk. He wanted to show the whole world that for all these years, this bed has carried this man. And now the man is carrying the bed. There's been a change that took place, and he did. And when this man picked up his bed and started walking, everybody that saw him was shocked. They knew he had been in that bed for 38 years. And suddenly he's able to walk. The record says in John chapter 5 and verse 16, and for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. They sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Would you think about that? He healed this man miraculously, which is the only way he could have been healed. The man was able to, to get up and walk. His whole life had changed. The greatest thing they'd ever seen in their lives. And the, the response to him by the religious leaders among the Jews, they sought to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus because he had healed this man and because he told him to take up his bed and walk and it was the Sabbath day. These were the religious leaders. These were the holy men 
these supposedly were God's men and they wanted to kill the man that relieved this infirmed man of his infirmity. The Lord had a discussion with them not much after this and probably an hour may have gone by and he had a discussion with these religious leaders and he explained many things it's crystal clear his explanation was and then then finally as he's getting ready to summarize and show the true character of these holy men in verse 39 he said you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The reason these men would not come to Jesus was because they were unwilling to do it. Why? Why would they be unwilling? First of all, I think it's spiritual blindness. I think most people have not given much thought to why we're here and where we're going when our time for being here is over. What happens next? I think, I think most people just don't even think about it. I don't think they want to think about it. You know, death is inevitable. We know death is inevitable. Everybody will agree with that. But few people there are who want to give much consideration to what follows death. And that's, uh, that's a terrible thing. But that was the case with these men. They were spiritually blind. They were supposed to be the holy men, God's men. Truth of the matter was, they didn't know up from down. They claimed they did, but they certainly didn't. Why? Well, they were spiritually blinded to truth. They couldn't see the truth. They didn't get the truth. They couldn't understand the truth. And Jesus said it was their fault. They were not willing to give it any thought. One can be a, a, a great student of the scriptures and at the same time not know Christ. I know a good number of preachers, I think are are very good men in the denominational arena. They study the Bible. They can quote scriptures. They can explain so many things and do it so eloquently. And yet for all that study time that they put in, when it comes down to it, they simply do not know Jesus. You can't convince them of it. They don't believe that. But from where I stand, that's the way it appears to be. They don't know him. It's possible for a person to be a very good Bible student and at the same time not really understand who Jesus Christ is. And I, I think that's very sad. Why do such things happen? The Jewish religious leaders, they boasted of being skilled in the Old Testament scriptures, especially the scribes. 
they were the most knowledgeable people of all at that time. And boy, they were proud of it. And they let everybody know it. They knew the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone did. And at the same time, the Son of God was standing in front of them. They didn't know who he was. You have to agree that it's possible for a person to be a diligent Bible student and at the end of the day still not know who Jesus Christ is. These guys right here, they're proof that it's possible. How does such a thing happen? In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus appeared to a couple of his disciples and he said, all things must be fulfilled. They were talking about Jesus and him being crucified and what a, what a terrible day it was in Israel. And he appeared to them and he began a conversation. They didn't know who he was. And he began his, 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 his discussion with these words. All things must be fulfilled. What things? These things which are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, Genesis to Malachi. Everything mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. All of the prophecies that dealt with the Messiah and what the Messiah would do when he came are contained within that portion of the Bible. And these men were experts in it. They studied it diligently. They thought they understood every nook and cranny. And yet the primary purpose of the Old Testament scriptures was to identify the Messiah. And here the Messiah is standing in front of them and they don't know who he is. How could that be? How can a person have so much knowledge and at the same time be so ignorant of what they're supposed to know about. It's sad, but it's true. And it's always been true. All things, he said, must be fulfilled. These things which concern me. Over 330 prophecies in the Old Testament, at least, Speak about Jesus Christ, not as Jesus Christ, but as the Messiah or as the one who's coming, the one who's going to redeem Israel, the one who's going to save the world. Over 330 marks identifying God's son. They read them. They studied them. They could quote them. And here he is standing in front of them, and they don't know who he is. The Old Testament scriptures gave us all these identifying marks. The Jewish people, as you know, were waiting for Messiah to come. Several of them in the New Testament speak of their waiting for Messiah to come. We're looking for him. We look for him every day. Every day we want to see the Messiah and God peppered the Old Testament with all these identifiers of who the Messiah was, what he would be like, what he would do. 
even how he would look. Isaiah said he's not going to be a pretty man. He's going to be a common man. He's going to be very ordinary. When people look at the Messiah, he's not going to be the kind of man that, a man that, that makes women's heads swoon. He's going to be just an average, typical, everyday Joe. That's what the Messiah will look like. He'll have hair on his face. They'll crucify him. He's going to live a, a, a lowly life. He's going to be the average man. Nothing special whatsoever. He'll do many mighty works. The, the greatest of all was after they murdered him, he'd rise from the dead. Over 330 marks that identified Jesus of Nazareth. And there he was standing there in front of them. They didn't have a clue who he was. They wanted to kill him. How sad, how sad. It, I wonder if that would be true today. You think that might be true today, that if Jesus Christ came in flesh, do you think it's possible that all of us preachers would not be able to recognize him? I don't think things are any different today than they were back then. I don't think people are any better or any smarter. We drive better cars, but as far as our religiosity goes, I doubt if there's a that much difference in them and us. I don't believe most would even know who he was if you walked up to him and tweaked him on the nose. I don't think things change that much. I never have. I think history constantly repeats itself in the way people behave. But how can it be? How can this be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, when Moses is read, this is during the synagogue meetings on the Sabbath day, someone would get up and they'd read from the Old Testament scriptures. Moses referred to as the author, and he was of the first five books. But when someone would get up and read what Moses wrote, he said a veil lies on the heart of the listeners. What have they come there for? To hear what God has said. They want to they wanna know what God has said. They want to understand what God has said. But they can't because there's a veil. that light, You know what a veil is. It's that thing they put across their face. See it on the TV lately a whole lot. All you can see is the eyes in some women, and they got that. It's a piece of material. And Paul said that there's a, there's a piece of material that lays across the heart of those in the synagogue. 
when Moses is read. They thought they knew all about the Messiah. You know, sometimes that's when we get careless. We don't listen because we got it all figured out. Oh, I know what the Bible says. I don't have to pay attention. I know, I know about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And some preacher gets up and he starts preaching about it, and I start daydreaming. I don't have to listen. I already know it. So while the preacher preaches, I'm thinking about going to the lake in my new boat and going fishing. Paul said this is why people couldn't understand. Because when Moses is read, when the Messiah was being identified to the people, they had a veil lying across their hearts because they already knew who Messiah was and they didn't have to listen. In Matthew 13 and 13, Jesus made a statement. He said, I speak to the people in parables. And why is that, Lord? Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Neither do they understand. I don't think this is us. And I certainly pray that this isn't us. But how many people today in our world how many people that we tried to talk to about the Lord? How many people go brain dead when we start our discussion? How many people have a veil across their heart? If a person's got a veil across their heart, you can talk, you can talk and talk, but you won't get anywhere because your words can't penetrate that veil. I'm not saying that we ought not be talking. We should. But I want you to understand that sometimes, given your very best efforts, sometimes you can't get anywhere. It's not because of you. It's not your fault. It's not because you said or did something wrong. It's, it's because a person has a veil laying across the heart. And try as we may, we can't get past that veil. And we feel like we've failed. Oh, no, you haven't failed. If you failed, Jesus failed. And we don't believe Jesus failed. All we can do is our best. And when we've done that, the rest is up to the person we're trying to talk to. Oh, that's my mama. I know. I've been through it with my mama. I can remember my mama tell me to shut up. I've heard enough of you. And I'd have to turn it off and wait for another day. And then another day, and then another day. I kept trying, but to tell you the truth, I gave up on her. I thought she's, she's not gonna listen. She's not gonna change. And I hate to say it, but I actually wrote her off. I didn't quit talking to her. I did, at least till she made me hush. 
And then one day she said, out of the clear blue sky, she said, I want to be baptized. I almost fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe she said it. And we come out here and we baptized her. I don't understand much when it comes to things like that. I don't understand being closed-minded and then suddenly being open-minded. I don't understand. I know it happens, though. And that's why we can't give up, especially if it's our mom or daddy or a son or a daughter. You know, a lot of times people look like they're not listening and they might be listening. I know sometimes people got a veil on their heart and they hear nothing. But we keep trying time and again because too much is at stake. Oh, my, too much is at stake. We can't get sloppy. We can't get careless. No, uh-uh. These are the people we love more than anybody on the earth. No, no, we can't get careless. We'll make a fool out of ourselves if we have to. I've spent most of my life begging. I had a man ask me one time, do you, do you realize you're a professional beggar? I never thought about it that way, but he was right. Because I spent most of my life begging people to obey the gospel. And for the most part, it seemed to have fallen on deaf ears. But not always. Paul said this is a problem that you're going to encounter as a teacher, as a personal evangelist. You're going to speak to people and they got a veil over their heart and they ain't going to hear what you say. At least not that day. They might later, but not that day. They've got a veil lying on their heart. They think they already know, number one, what Messiah is like, and number two, what he will and will not do. A lot of, I know a man one time, he became a Christian. And I, we have a new beginners class over here for people who uh, have never studied the scriptures very much. And uh, I encouraged him to join that class over there and go through these first principles of New Testament Christianity. And you know what he told me? He said, I don't need it. He said, I know enough about Jesus and his church. I don't, I don't need a first principles class. I've been preaching here about 30 years. I bet I never saw him in a church house over two times. Except for the last two years, I've seen him pretty regular. He obeyed the gospel, but he thought he knew it. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. That's the reason I went to school for so many years. I was 52 years old before I quit going to college. Because I understand how little I know in the whole scheme of things. But sometimes if a fellow's got in his mind, I already know he's not going to listen very much because he's got a bail line across his heart and he tunes you out. A person can't learn the truth about the character, about the words or the works of the Messiah if they think they already know all about him. 
They won't listen. And when you talk to some people, what you've got to do is show them what they don't know. And sometimes that'll soften a heart. Not always, but sometimes it will. Some people have a veil on their heart. And because they have a veil on their heart, they can't hear the truth. They can't hear it. They hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. And they can't understand because there's no education to go along with it. Brother Wayne Jackson said, and uh, I've been very fond of this saying, knowledge that is not set to action only brings a more severe condemnation. If we learn the scriptures and we don't act upon what we've learned, we're in worse shape after we've learned the scripture than we were before it because our condemnation is more severe. Before I learned about Jesus, I would have been condemned, but not because I rejected Jesus, but because I didn't know him, and I could have. But after I went to learning about Jesus, I spent a couple years learning about Jesus. If I would have died, I would have been condemned but my condemnation would have been much, much greater. Why? Because now I've rejected Jesus. I knew something about him, the son of God, but it didn't matter. I rejected him anyway. My last position was worse than my first. Sometimes that happens and it's very true. You search the scriptures. Why were they searching the scriptures? For in them, that is the scriptures, you pour through the scriptures because you believe that in those scriptures, you think you have eternal life. And that's what they're looking for, eternal life. And in these are they, the scriptures, they Testify of me. That was the main purpose of the Old Testament scriptures. That's why God recorded it and preserved it even to today. It's because the Old Testament scriptures testify of Jesus of Nazareth. And by looking at those identifying points of the Old Testament, you can look at the man Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. And you could see, yeah, that's really him. That's what these people spent their lives doing. And they did it because they wanted to have eternal life. And yet for all that they did to learn about Jesus, when they did, they were not willing to come to Jesus. They were not willing. They didn't want to. They chose not to. They saw the Messiah. They just didn't like what they saw. And they didn't want to come to him. Salvation is in Christ, in Christ only. 
And you know, it's strange, but that upsets a lot of people when you say that, especially today. There's a lot of people in what's called Christendom, all the various groups that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Many, many, if not most, are highly offended if you suggest that salvation is only found in Christ. The question, well, what about the Jew? What about the Muslim, the Buddhist? What about the Hindu? I know they're wrong, but they're doing the best they know to do. Surely they'll be saved for doing the best they know to do. But the Bible says that only in Christ is their salvation, and people are offended by that. They don't accept it. They believe there are other avenues that lead to salvation. A Baptist preacher one time told me that you got to think about the various denominations like you see Hooper Eblem. Imagine that the gymnasium is heaven. The world is the corridor around the big auditorium. He said, all people are walking in the, in the world. You got this church, that church, and the other church. All those churches are represented by a different door. And it doesn't matter which door you go through, you're going to heaven. He believed that, I think. He convinced me he believed it. I didn't take him to be a liar. But in his opinion, regardless of what denomination a person belongs to, they're going to go to heaven. And there's a lot of people that believe that. And if you talk about salvation being in Christ only, people get angry. They get upset. And that's, it's, it's bitter pill to swallow. Our Lord said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way you can get to the Father is through Jesus. Well, there goes the Jew. They reject Jesus. There goes the Muslim, the Hindu. They reject Jesus. Now, Jesus, it depends on what you think about Jesus. Is he an honest man or is he a deceiver? He said, the only way anyone can get to my father is through me. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? If it's not, I'm a fool. Because I've been following this man all my adult life. Because I believe he only tells the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do I believe him or not? That's the question it comes down to. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. None whatsoever. Anyone living today who has chosen an avenue other than the Son of God to get to eternal life will never find eternal life. 
because Jesus tells the truth. He does not lie. A child can understand what he said. No one except through me. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter said, Nor is there salvation in any other person, any person other than Jesus. You're not going to find salvation through Moses. You're not going to find salvation through Muhammad. There is no salvation to be found because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, there is no other way. And Peter agreed. For there is no other name under heaven. There is no other man among men by which we must be saved. No man has that kind of power. Not Moses, not Muhammad, not any other. Most people in our culture reject that. And when you talk to them, They'll reject what you have to say in many cases. And you've got to keep that in mind. You've got to keep that in mind. If a person's mind is made up already, oh, it's hard. It's hard to get through to them. Not impossible, but very, very hard. Well, this sounds narrow, narrow-minded. It sounds narrow because it is narrow. Truth is extremely narrow. Two plus two equals four. That's the truth. It's narrow. What does that mean? Three is not the sum of two plus two, nor is five, nor is any other number. You can take all the numbers you can imagine and every number you can think of is wrong because four is truth. That excludes everything. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he excluded everyone else. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus. According to Jesus. So it depends on what we think about Jesus. I think he's honest. And that's the way I've lived my life. He never apologized for saying that. He made a lot of people, well, they crucified him. But he never apologized. How could he apologize for the truth? He said it and he lived it. And neither should we apologize for it. Oh, my brethren. How many preachers are so quick to apologize for our Lord? The narrow-mindedness of Jesus. Today it's different. Today we're smarter. We understand. We know that that can't be true. It's too narrow. I can't tell anybody that. They'll get mad at me. My friends will get mad at me. My preacher friends will get mad at me if I were to say something like that. And it's common today, even in churches of Christ, that all those doors around Hooper Evelyn, 
it's true. They represent different ways to heaven. At least that's what some of our brethren preach. I see more weak-minded, spineless preachers in our brotherhood now than I've ever seen in the past. There's always been some, but today there's a bunch of them that way. And it's heartbreaking. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you too. How do you feel about Jesus? Is he an honest person? Did he tell the truth? Or did he lie and deceive us? What we think of Jesus has got a lot to do with our salvation. We want to make sure we know who he is. Speaking to Martha, the Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The key, you got to believe in me. Those who believe in me will have eternal life. That's the key to success. That's the key to salvation is faith in Christ. Believing he's honest. He tells the truth. He gave us a way, a map, if you will, of how we can go to heaven. And those who believe him follow him. And others will not. Do you believe this? He asked her. Do you believe I'm telling you the truth? Or are you ashamed of me because of that narrow mind I have? We have to stop here. I think I might go a little farther next week. But I, I want you to think about this. It's not that I think it's your problem. But I think we have to deal with this problem in the world. I know you want to help people find eternal life. I know that. And sometimes we feel like we're such failures. But I want you to understand it's not that you have failed. It's that others have failed themselves. And it, it's heart-wrenching. When my mama would make me hush, it absolutely broke my heart not because she made me hush she's made me hush all my life but it's because she would not hear what the Bible had to say about Jesus and his church it hurt her feelings do you know what your grandfather was do you know what your grandmother was John do you realize what you're saying, John? Oh, she gets so angry with me. I didn't condemn my grandfather or my grandmother. I wasn't trying to condemn anybody. I was trying to save my mama. And I did it by trying to help her understand what the truth is. Thankfully, I was able to finally help her see the light. 
it is it is so important for us to try to help others because one day we or they shall pass from this world and we're going to be stuck with a knowledge that they weren't ready to meet their maker. And we'll have to live with it the rest of our life. And it's painful. I've got so many scars on my heart because of people I loved that I didn't try to help save. They're gone. I know what the Bible teaches. They're gone. And I can't do anything about it. That's why I don't mind being a beggar. Too much at stake. There's too much on the line. I want you to enjoy your life. I wish we could be free of all of our scars, but we can't. But we can reduce the scars in the future if we'll be patient. Try to understand people and be patient and not give up. Do you want eternal life? Heaven can be your home. I wouldn't tell you that if it wasn't the truth. I know it's the truth. I don't care who you are. I know if you want eternal life, it can be your home. If you want it badly enough. You are to believe that Jesus Christ was the gift of God to save us from ourselves. Resolve in our hearts, I'm going to quit sinning. It's wrong. It's going nowhere. I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to be immersed with the Lord in water. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a new creature. I'm going to set my mind on heaven. And as best I can, I'm going to walk in that direction. Because you can succeed. I wouldn't tell you that if it weren't true. You can succeed. And you shall.